That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, it is July the 12th, and uh, also known as uh, the uh, Remembrance of the Battle of the Boyne, and um, everybody's got their orange out and, uh, and feeling very Protestant today. How are you doing, Aaron? Uh, I'm doing all right. I think I'm ready to, to jump in to our readings uh, for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. This will yeah. be for those of you that are preaching on the 18th of July, and um, no one's readings, there. Your readings are going to be uh, yeah, and no one no one's at church. Um, uh, your readings, though, for that small summer crowd are going to be from Second Samuel chapter seven, verses one through fourteen. A, don't go to B. Whatever you do. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, and as we continue to walk through the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, mm. verses 30 to 34, and then skipping ahead to 53 to 56. Uh, so let's jump in as we continue with the story of David. Last week, the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem, and now everything's great for David. He's settled, uh, and he's kind of at this, you know, he's arrived. He's done what Nobody ever does. You kind of arrive at the place you want to be in your career. You've defeated all your enemies. You got the headquarters built. You're all set. Your competitors are in the dust. Uh, your stock's at an all-time high. What do you do? And he looks around and notices that the Ark of God is still in a tent, meaning a tabernacle. Pretty nice tent. Mm-hmm. Nice gold and tapestries and weavings, but nevertheless a tent. And David is there luxuriating in his cedar-paneled, moth-proof house. And, yeah, uh, and he's he's thinking about building a temple. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting thing, and I think that's where a, a lot of people uh, get when they've finally arrived. Um, you know, they want to do something for other people. You know, and they want to get involved in philanthropy and uh, you know and charities. And uh, what is happening here on one level is is that um, David is saying, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm so great. I'd like to make God great." Uh, that's kind of the implication here, and uh, you know, let me do something for God, and um, and that and and for Nathan, you know, it's kind of like, hey, that sounds like a great idea, and so, but there's an issue here, and that is um, that um, we don't make God great; um, rather, He's the God who comes and um, saves us. And yeah. uh, he establishes his salvific kingdom forever. So it's not about anything that David has done. It's about now, and the, it's going to be flipped, what God is going to do uh, for and through David. I think, you know, it just this passage shows the difference between human thinking versus God's thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, David thinks that God would want nothing more than to have a big fancy stone temple to have the Ark of the Stone Temple Pilots, to have his Ark. Uh, this is Jason's chair, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, Jacob's it's chair. It's, it's sucking. Get some WD freaking 40, brother. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. Maybe while you're on sabbatical, the vestry can buy you a new chair. I, uh, I'll, Something. I'll send, the, I'll send an email to the, to the senior warden. Um, 
But the, uh, the, so David thinks it's natural to build this fancy house for God, tells Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet also thinks it's totally natural. Good idea. And then Nathan goes home and hears from the Lord and says, nope. He, he hears from God in the middle of the night. And God just says, look, I don't need a house. I'm fine. I am God. Whatever I, wherever I want to be is, is the place that I make holy. It's not the building that makes, uh, makes me holy. Well, um, and not, a, not only that, but don't forget, David, I'm the one who took you out of the pasture. You know what I mean? I'm the one who's delivered you from all your uh, enemies, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Yeah. And he, you know, and basically, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel. I will plant them. I will do this. I will appoint. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Don't ever forget that. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Uh, and this is uh, one of the powerful things about this. Um, essentially, what God is doing here is making a covenant with David. Um, uh, and uh, this is called the Davidic Covenant, where he basically says, I will raise up your offsprings after you. You shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And, uh, you know, this is what God is going to do through David. And, um, and what's powerful about this covenant is this is uh, one of the great covenants of the Old Testament. And uh, it is, um, and all of the covenants in the Old Testament, except for the Mosaic, except for the law, is about uh, what God does 100% for you, his people. And uh, actually, St. Paul quotes this uh, section in, um, in Romans as part of his case for a one-way covenant. Mm -hmm. And to show that God doing actually everything for his people is not a new religion, but uh, is the fulfillment of the old, and that Jesus is the fulfillment of this, um, this particular, um, particular covenant. And seated at the right hand of the Father, he rules now, and, uh, and rules over you and I's life with all of his grace, all of his mercy, and all of his love. Yeah, and, and the, the last thing I would say here is this is def definitely pointing towards the the living temple the church and mm. and jesus christ obviously is the head of the church and um there's this uh move obviously where david wants to build a temple solomon will be the one to do it and that's one way to understand that passage where he says i i will appoint one of your successors who will be the one that does this and builds the temple and yes that is true that is what god is saying here but he's also very much saying or as a christian you should hear this um that Jesus Christ is the real successor from the line of David that God has in mind here. And he's the one that will, um, that his kingdom will be the one where it's established forever. And many people thought when Jesus came, he was going to be a Davidic king. And they looked to this verse in Second Samuel is like, you know, this is going to be the Messiah and he's going to be a king with an army and all that sort of stuff. Um, but again, Jesus said, no, the temple is going to be torn down. Um, and there's, you're not going to be worrying about where is the place on earth where we worship God, because God seeks worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth, and it's not about the physical location on earth. So, all that to say is, this is pointing to Jesus Christ, and thank God we no longer need a temple uh, to, where God's glory dwells to go and make things right between us and God, because Jesus Christ has done that, and the curtain has been torn in two in the temple. So... Uh, mm. that, that's how you preach Second Samuel, uh, if you are so bold as to, as to do that. Um, and then we move on to our reading in Ephesians chapter 2. 
11 through 22. Again, continuing if you're doing a sermon series on Ephesians, or if you're not, your your congregation's going to be hearing this uh, for several weeks as you walk through this writing of St. Paul. And like in a lot of Paul, there's a lot to talk about, um, a lot, but there's words here you can cover with uh, Jesus Christ being the one um, where the dividing wall has been broken down. And he's talking about the the Gentiles versus the people of Israel, and uh, that there would have been a sense that there was kind of the, the circumcision, the people who were um, uh, the ones who were children of the covenant and in a good relationship with God versus the ones who were not circumcised, the uncircumcision. This Gentile Jew distinction was a big deal in the ancient world, and the fact that it was broken down in Christ was a big deal as well. And so the question here is, you know, how do you make this relevant to people today in that we don't tend to see the world as Jews and Gentiles, we don't tend to see the world as circumcised versus uncircumcised. Um, so how would you make this uh, connect for your people, Jake? Well, I mean, to, uh, well, Jew and Gentile was the biggest, um, uh, I mean, those two groups were constantly at odds, but uh, there are people groups that are constantly at odds today, you know, uh, in our own country, Democrats and Republicans, um, woke and the unwoke, you know, but uh, I would, um, so, uh, but to remember that in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the big thing is he's been, he is our peace and he's the one who's torn down every dividing wall. Uh, that stands between um, you and everybody else. And so, and he's been, and this ties into that Old Testament because you see once again what God has uh, done for you and what he continues to do for you, and that is tearing down all of these things that have been brought up and uh, that had divide us. And you can actually, um, in light of this, begin to treat people, especially Christians, as... as um, as brothers and sisters, I'm reminded of that John Newton piece that was floating around Mockingbird a couple of months ago, last week for us right now. But did you see that about where John Newton, yeah. he basically he's approached by um, kind of a young minister who's a, you know, a really um, angry Calvinist and uh, and anyway wants to mow down every Arminian that comes his way. And, uh, and uh, John Newton, you know, tells him like, man, this guy actually is closer to you uh, then your very uh, your very own flesh and blood and in heaven will be even more closer to you and uh, you know and what this reminds us of is is that really God has torn down the hostility that 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 stands between us and uh, to um, that um, he has done it so therefore um, we can treat people as people yeah and I think a line here you know if you wanted to kind of really focus on something, in verse 15, he has abolished the law. So this is an external standard by which you can define your performance. And mm -hmm. any external standard that allows you to define your performance allows you to create two kinds of people, the ones who who succeed at that and the ones who fail at that. And yeah. it always creates division. And so the abolishing of the law, um, the good and holy and perfect law of God, but Jesus Christ fulfills it all. And so now you, you don't, you don't, you, it totally removes the criteria by which you can categorize people into good or bad. And so this is why we now have one humanity and Jesus Christ, um, continues to do that work today. And, and it's a, it's a radical notion. And he's the builder of that new temple that David longed to see. That's right. The real the temple, you know, it says, so then no longer strangers and aliens. 
um, you know, but uh, members of a household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the reason why? The apostles point back to Jesus. The prophets point to Jesus with Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the thing that holds the whole thing together. And uh, we now are, as, as, as you pointed out earlier, that, that temple, that true temple. This is why we don't need a new temple in Israel. You know, some of these folks talking about building a third temple, that's crazy talk. We are, the new, we are the new temple. And, uh, and uh, we are that holy temple with Jesus as the cornerstone. Uh, we are a living temple, a dwelling place for God. Yeah, that's right. And the uh, the last thing I would say, um, kind of a very preachable thing here, is in verse 17, uh, that Jesus proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And the reason that's mm. eminently preachable is because many of us think that the only people that need to hear the message of peace, which is to say the message of the gospel, which is the message of you are loved. I'm not coming at you with a sword or my pistol cocked, loaded, ready to go, finger on the trigger. I'm coming at you in peace, my hands open. This is what God does in Jesus Christ. Um, I'm coming not to accuse, but to pardon, not to arrest, but to acquit. Um, and that message we think of peace only needs to be heard by those who are the real notorious sinners, the ones who are far off uh, from God, the prodigal sons and daughters who've wandered away. But he, Paul here says that Jesus also comes to preach peace to those who are near, because it's the it's the holy rollers, the churchgoers, the Sunday school leaders, the deacons, uh, the clergy. They need to hear it just as much. Uh, this message that they're loved and forgiven. And again, the cross, the the ground in front of the cross is level ground. There's no difference between anybody. And so this is what abolishes these distinctions between high and low and all that sort of stuff. The ways that human beings like to divide everybody up. Um, uh, it's not, and the, the message that sometimes people say is that we can all get along the common humanity of man because we're all um, made in the image of God and there's a divine spark in each of us. That's not what Paul is saying. Although, yes, we are all made in the image of God. What Paul is saying is we're all equally sinners and all equally loved. So the thing that unites humanity is not necessarily how great we are, but how, how universal our flawed natures are, and then in that how loved we are. And because of that, Jesus preaches peace to all of us and, and unites us into one common saved bunch of sinners. That's good. Amen. That's good. And then we come to finally our gospel, Mark chapter 6, 30 to 34, and then 53 to 56 and um you don't need to worry about what happens in the middle yeah yeah just skip it he's got so a meeting with his agent it's not really that just important. a bunch of names no, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> so but uh, it's inspired but it's not important but i think yeah that's right that's right uh yeah, nothing red letter in there you need to worry about mm. but anyway um uh, the uh you know what you see here basically happening is is that um I mean, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is one who is teaching with his own authority, but he is also, um, um, as, um, uh, is really coming and, and, and bringing some gifts. And the crowds, the crowds are pressing in, the crowds are coming around. This David's greatest son, his name is, uh, is, is, is spreading out throughout all of, uh, 
well, all of Israel as a um, as what's his name? Who, who's the what's the guy's name who plays Mr. Bean? Um, Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson. Have you seen any of his English clergy bits? Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, they're great. And but they anyway, said unto like, the Lord, "How the hell did you do that?" <laughs> yeah. And and the crowds hailed him as an all-around wonderful entertainer. And, and they, so anyway, but they this knew is, not whence he came. Yeah, this is exactly what's happening here, is that uh, the crowds are coming, and uh, they are coming, and they think that they're approaching Rowan Atkinson's Jesus, uh, you know, a Jesus who's just kind of uh, giving out little things. Um, um, a bunch of people, but they are totally lost, and Jesus notices this. He sees them as a sheep without a shepherd. So he begins to teach them many things. Basically, uh, what is he teaching them? Well, that the kingdom of God has come near them, that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so, um, and the crowds just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. But this is just it. They're missing the point. They're missing the point that uh, he is their good shepherd. He is the one who's come to do so much more than just simply give them things to eat. He's come to do so much more than just kind of, you know, know, heal the sick and all of that. He's come to reconcile us back to God. He's come to be our king. Mm, yeah, and you know, one of the other things that you really see in this passage, because the thing that they leave out is the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, yeah, after verse right. 34, all these people are hungry, and it's like you give them something to eat, and Jesus miracul- miraculously feeds them with, um, uh, which one was this one? This was like the, oh, five, five loaves of bread and two fish. And, um, but they leave it out, because I think the lectionary here it wants to focus on the the attitude that Jesus has to suffering people. So mm-hmm. he sees this great crowd. He's exhausted. The passage talks about how the disciples, have, the apostles have just come back from him sending them out. They've had this huge ministry and exciting, but, but they're tired. And so they go to this deserted place and one, presumably Jesus is tired as well. But even so, the whole crowd shows up and because they are sheep without a shepherd, he has compassion on them and he teaches them. And then of course, when they, after the feeding, they get to the other side of the uh, lake and they, Lake Gennesaret is the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, Gennesaret is the word for harp and the, the lake looks sort of from above like the shape of a harp. How they knew that then without drone footage, I don't know. But anyways, uh, Lake Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, same thing. They get out of the boat and again, a huge crowd and Jesus, uh, heals them. Uh, mm. So again, sheep without a shepherd, and Jesus is the compassionate one. This is the, the the sort of two poles of this passage. So if you want to talk about how people are sheep without a shepherd, I think that will connect very deeply. Lots of illustrations you can talk about people who have problems. Um, like there's that that opening line in that song by the Beach Boys off of Pet Sounds. I forget which song, but he's, Brian Wilson begins by singing, "I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be." Mm. Um, and so sheep without a shepherd and then of course Jesus is the one who has compassion again and again and again and and again as Jake you said I mean just to say that he has compassion on your current problems that's true and should be preached as far as it goes but like you said just he could heal every single sickness on the earth right now and it would not remove the big problem we face which is death um, and judgment Uh, and so Jesus will go on to 
do that biggest healing, that biggest reconciliation, that preach peace to those who are far from those who are near, as, as he says, in the, as we read earlier from St. Paul. So uh, he goes to the cross, and, and you do too. You want to do that in your sermon. Wow. Well, we did it. And, um, I think in 20 good. minutes, let's, let's quit while we're ahead. I know, I know. Well, um, happy preaching, everyone, and, uh, and we will uh, see you next week. Bye-bye. Somebody's looking, somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.